Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Big Recon on Sports Podcast. I am your host, I am the Big Recon, and today is Thursday, August the 15th, 2019. We are into NFL preseason, and the baseball postseason is starting to take shape, and it, of course, gets us into September very soon, and we're going to see a great pennant race in, actually, believe it or not, every division with rare exception in Major League Baseball. But tonight's episode, and sorry I haven't been around in a while, guys. I know it's been two weeks since the trade deadline episode. Uh, I've been working on a couple of different things, one of them being the forthcoming NFL and college football preview shows. Uh, but the first thing I want to get into, we're going to tackle two topics tonight. The first one is going to be the uh, first preseason game for the Cleveland Browns. And the second one will be the run that the New York Mets are currently on, which seems to have stalled a little bit, but at the same time, uh, I believe, is going to pick back up with no issue. So last week, the Browns played the Washington Redskins uh, in the preseason week one in Cleveland. Of course, highly anticipated debut of Dwayne Haskins from Ohio State in a Washington Redskins uniform. But more importantly, this was the first time we got to look at the Browns team on the field as currently constituted. And then something happened. OBJ, Jarvis Landry, and David Njoku did not play. Baker Mayfield started the game with his starting offensive line with Nick Chubb. Uh, He had Antonio Callaway. He had Higgins. Um, but he did not have his three biggest targets. And I actually, on my TV right now, as I sit and record here, have the opening drive of the Browns game on. Baker, bad throw on first down, great slant on second, checked uh, for a first down, checked down to Chubb uh, on a screen pass for another first down, and then an RPO to Nick Chubb, who looked like they had him behind the line. Chubb breaks tackles, runs over a dude, and gets another first down, and the Browns are rolling. Baker then takes the next snap out of the shotgun. He throws underneath to a backup running back. Uh, He gets another first down before he's forced out of bounds. The next play, Baker runs to the same backup running back. Another first down conversion on first down. The Browns are rolling. Then Baker drops back and does what Baker does and throws an absolute dime to Higgins for the touchdown. The Browns go 89 yards in less than three minutes. And here's the kicker. The Browns let the Washington Redskins know they were going to run the hurry up to start the game. And Baker Mayfield, without his three biggest weapons, carved up the Washington Redskins defense like a Thanksgiving turkey. I mean, he was on point. His passes were crisp. He was on time with everything. And the touchdown pass to Higgins, if anybody hasn't seen it yet, oh my lord, this is an absolute dime. There is no one else who could have caught this ball besides Higgins. And he threw it into double coverage. Washington had a safety coming across the side along with the corner that was running with Higgins. So then the Browns get on defense after that, and Baker only played one series. They gave up a touchdown in the first series, and the reason they gave up a touchdown is we had a defensive miscommunication between Greedy Williams and his safety help. He actually didn't have safety help on that play, and the Washington wide receiver gets behind the defense. Case Keenum hits him for a touchdown, and the Redskins tie the game. Uh, 
Now, after that first series, as I still watch the highlight package, Drew Stanton came in, threw a couple of nice balls. Um, you know, the crossing routes were great. Higgins was phenomenal. Um, they played very well last week. They're actually playing tonight. Um, Higgins made the move of the night. The He juked the defensive back out of his shoes to get down to the one-yard line to oh, start a first and goal for the Browns in that second drive. But the thing that impressed me the most about that game was rookie linebacker Mac Wilson. Two interceptions, one on a ball Dwayne Haskins threw that I thought was a decent throw, and Mac Wilson made a great play. Um, another one on a badly read route by Haskins, which resulted in the second uh, turnover. But he was phenomenal. Taki Taki, the linebacker out of um, BYU, played a great game, had a couple of pressures on the quarterback in the highlight packages I saw. The Browns' defense is going to be ready to go. Uh, One thing that did happen that I was impressed with, a lot of people, including guys when we were doing the AFC North preview, actually said that they're... Big issue with Greedy was he didn't tackle. Greedy came down in the box and absolutely drilled a running back uh, in that second Washington series. Now, going from the Browns to Dwayne Haskins. Dwayne Haskins did not look bad in this in his, de- his pro debut. Uh, his first ball was on a play-action sprint-out pass where he hit his receiver in stride down the sideline for a big gain in a first down. The first ball that I saw him throw, because I only got to see the highlight packages, out of the pocket was a great throw to the outside. The wide receiver then catches the ball and dumps it for the fumble and the turnover. So, the greatest moment of this game was toward the end. It was a punt return. And... Everybody would say to me, a punt return, what, what's the what's the big deal about a punt return, Mike? It's not so much it was a punt return, but who returned the punt? And that is wide receiver Damian Sheehy Giuseppe. Now, if no one knows his story, uh, Sheehy Giuseppe was a guy who basically talked his way into a tryout, was sleeping outside a gym, and in his first real action in the NFL, Sheehy Giuseppe took a punt return back to the house. He was amazing. It was a phenomenal play, well blocked by the by the special teams, but this kid can fly. But the touchdown was great, the punt return was great. My favorite part of it was the entire Cleveland Browns team running to the end zone, including head coach Freddie Kitchens, big smiles on their face, and they dogpiled on this guy. What a story Sheehy Giuseppe is. And let me tell you something. For a guy who follows the Browns like I do, and the one thing I will tell you that I was worried about would be who was going to return kicks. Because Antonio Callaway is... First of all, he's suspended for the first four games of the season. But he's inconsistent. I don't think he's the guy to return kicks personally. Uh, 
because I, I feel like he would be one to fumble in a big spot. It's not that I don't trust Callaway as a wide receiver. Just there's something about him I don't get as a punt returner. So I personally think he should do it. But if this guy can come out and even do that, and he makes an NFL roster, what a story that is. What an absolute amazing story that is. And I'll be honest with you. There are only certain cities you will hear a story like this come out of. You have what the movie invents... What the movie uh, a few years ago, Mark Wahlberg, Disney movie, about the guy who walked on and played with the Philadelphia Eagles. The Eagles held tryouts, and he made the team. The head coach at the time was Dick Vermeil, played by Greg Kinnear. Scored a couple of touchdowns on special teams. But I really think this kind of story can only happen in places like Philadelphia, Cleveland. I don't think you can have this happen in uh, in the big markets. And of course, the movie I'm referencing is Invincible, where Mark Wahlberg starred as teacher turned football player Vince Papali. What a phenomenal film, first of all. And second of all, the story that of Papali making the team as a walk-on, basically, like you would be in college, it's my first thought when I think of Damon Sheehy Giuseppe. If you haven't seen the clip of the punt return, I really suggest going on YouTube and looking up Cleveland Browns punt return, and it will pop up and you can watch the return. You can see his speed. It's breakaway speed. I hope he makes the team, and I hope he's returning kicks come week one. So my final takeaway from the Browns' uh, first preseason game is this. It's the first preseason game. The defense had some things to work on. The offense had some things to work on. The starters that played only played one series outside of Higgins, who is going to end up being the number three receiver right now, with the suspension of Callaway. So Baker's going to go into... I don't know how much he's going to play tonight, and I don't know how much he's going to, and I know he's going to play a bunch next week, but you got Baker's going to have on the field with him at any one time. Nick Chubb, David Njoku, Odell Beckham Jr., Jarvis Landry, Higgins. This team is loaded. And I'm sorry to everyone who listens, I'm going to say this, and there are going to be a lot of people who don't agree with me. The record-setting unit for the Cleveland Browns this year will be the defense. Miles Garrett could sack the quarterback 20-plus times this year, especially with Olivier Vernon on the other end of the line, and now Sheldon Richardson in the middle to go with Joby. The defensive secondary is going to be more locked down than last year because Greedy Williams is an upgrade from whoever they had on the other side of Denzel Ward last season. The Browns are loaded. Week one can't get here fast enough for Cleveland. And let me interject this point in this part of the story. And I mean no disrespect. I love you, Cleveland. And I understand you're a football town. 
But there is something that needs to be made abundantly clear to the people who live in that city. The Cleveland Indians have erased an 11-game deficit and now sit in first place in the American League Central, and no one cares. Cleveland, get on this train with the Indians. They are a pitching-rich, young, talented team. They're going to make some noise come October. Please don't be too into a resurgence of the Browns, which I know you guys have been waiting for, and I know you've been holding out hope for, for at least 20 years. Do not sleep on the Cleveland Indians. This is a good team that could bring you something before the Browns play their halfway point. So now let's get to the other great comeback story in Major League Baseball. And that is none other than the New York Mets. The New York Mets went into the All-Star break. 40 and 50. 10 games under 500. The New York Mets on the season after a great run at the end of July into the beginning of August are now Sixty-one and fifty-nine. The New York Mets are twenty-one and nine in their last thirty games. They have made up enough ground to be three games out of the second wild card spot. They're playing in Atlanta tonight. They've had a rough two nights in a row. But let's go back a week. Let's go back to where we were. Let's go back to hearing the national media say the New York Mets were done. They were making their hay against garbage teams after having taken five out of six from the Pirates, sweeping the Marlins in a four-game series, beating up on the lower level of competition they were playing. And in walked the mighty Washington Nationals, who a majority of sports writers and people on ESPN and and. MLB Network and everybody, oh, the Nationals, it doesn't matter Bryce Harper's not there. They're going to win the division. I told you in February, the Nationals' bullpen was a problem, and it's been a problem the whole time. So we get to Friday night, and the Nationals put up a three-spot against Marcus Stroman in his City Field debut, which, by the way, I haven't heard City Field like that since the playoff game in 2016. What an amazing atmosphere. So I'm sitting in my chair that I sit in when we watch TV, my wife and I, and I remember sitting here last Friday. The Met bullpen had given up a three spot. But you didn't give up. You thought of something. You thought of July 31st, 2015. You thought of the Wilmer Flores home run. You thought of being able to come back from anything. Well, the Nationals took a three-run lead in the bottom of the ninth. And they brought in their closer, Sean Doolittle. Now, Sean Doolittle is a very good pitcher. But not on this night. A leadoff, base, a leadoff double by J.D. Davis. A 
blistering single up the middle by Wilson Ramos set the stage for one of the most amazing things that I have seen as a Met fan in my life. Todd Frazier hit a three-run home run down the left field line to give the Mets the lead, or to tie the game, excuse me, in the bottom of the ninth inning. In one of the most epic comebacks I have ever seen in a New York Met game. And then Doolittle couldn't get out of the inning. He gave up two more hits. And up stepped Michael Conforto, one of the homegrown guys that we want to see stay in a New York Met uniform for his entire career. And he drove a line drive over the head of right fielder Adam Eaton. And the Mets scored four in the bottom of the ninth to beat the Nationals 7-6. to six. City Field went into an absolute joygasm. And lost their its collective mind. I was sitting in my chair. I'm listening to the game. My wife is reminding me, honey, we live in an apartment complex. It's almost 11 o'clock at night. You can't scream and yell. I didn't. I feared getting in trouble. Mets win the first game of that series. They make a big statement. We are not out of anything. Second night. Noah Syndergaard takes the, takes the hill. Gives up a two-run home run in the first inning. Juan Soto is a Met killer all of a sudden. What did the Mets do? Well, Patrick Corbin started for the Nationals that night, and J.D. Davis is Patrick Corbin's daddy. Davis hit a ball that I've only seen Pete Alonso hit this year. What an absolute bomb. Two to one. Then the birthday boy. Buffalo himself, Wilson Ramos, steps up, and he hits one farther than J.D. Davis did. They tie the game at two. They go down three to two, going into the bottom of the eighth inning. When Luis Guillorme, a utility infielder they had just brought up from the minor league, steps up and against Fernando Rodney, hits his first major league home run to tie the game at three. Four batters later, J.D. Davis hits a sacrifice fly, and the Mets win the second game of the series, 4-3. to three. Howie Rose gave a great stat that night when I was listening to the game. The New York Mets have the least amount of sacrifice flies in baseball, and at a time when they absolutely needed it, they got it. They lost, unfortunately, on Sunday, but again, got down early, came back. Bullpen couldn't handle it. The last two nights, listen, Atlanta's in first place for a reason. They are a great team. I know I said it in the trade deadline episode. And I know I said it in the episode to start the season, and I've said it on several different videos on YouTube. This New York Mets team is different. I I know they had a rough first half. I know they have a bullpen that has problems. But there is something about this team. And now, outside of next week when Cleveland is here, 
the New York Mets do not go into a single series the rest of the season, in my opinion, with the lesser starting pitching. Think about that. This is August 15th. So we've got the other half, the rest of August to go. All of September, all of October. Or in, in all of September, excuse me. They're not playing games in October. So you're telling me that from now until the end of the season, in series against the Kansas City Royals, the Cleveland Indians, the Atlanta Braves, the Chicago Cubs, the Phillies, the Nationals, the Phillies again, Arizona, the Dodgers, in Colorado, in Cincinnati, and then home for four against Miami and three against Atlanta. Other than the Cleveland series and maybe the Dodgers series, depending on which they, part of the rotation of the Dodgers the Mets get, the Mets hold the upper hand in pitching in every series. Stroman tonight, Thor, DeGrom, and Wheeler in Kansas City. Matsy to open the series against the Indians on the 20th, Stroman on the 21st, Thor on the 22nd. DeGrom on the 23rd. Wheeler on the 24th. Matt's on the 25th against Atlanta. The three against the Cubs. Stroman, Syndergaard, DeGrom. The Mets are throwing out an ace almost every night. This season is far from over. There are 4, 7, 10, 13... 16, 19, 22, 26, 29, 32, 35, 39. There are 43 games left. Anything can happen in those 40-some games. The Mets got to win tonight. They got to beat Atlanta, get a good start at Stroman, and move on to Kansas City. If they can win the next four in a row, it's a 500 road trip, and they come home to Cleveland, who's going to be a tough out. The Indians, as I said earlier, one of the hottest teams in the game, and they just erased an 11-game lead. So as we are coming down to the wire in Major League Baseball, there's a lot of things to watch. Um, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I am waiting for the New York Yankees pitching to implode. Everybody's like, oh, look how good they are. They're beating the Orioles. They're beating Toronto. They're beating teams that are garbage. Weren't we just condemning the Mets for the same thing? I want to see how the Indians finish out. I want to see how big the lead the Dodge big of a lead the Dodgers can get. I want to see how the wild card shapes out in both leagues. There are more than five teams in it in each league. It is going to be right down to the wire. And as Major League Baseball instituted a couple of years ago, the final day of the season, everybody starts at 3.10 in the afternoon. 12.10 on the coast, 2.10 uh, Mountain, 1.10 Central, whatever it is. Or 1.10 Mountain, 2.10 Central, 3.10 on the East Coast. Everybody starts at the same time. So all the games will probably end at the same time. If things go the way I want, the Atlanta Braves are in the in the city field the final weekend of the season. Wouldn't it be something if the Mets got hot again and that last game meant that much? 
that you could see a Julio Tehran or a Mike Fultonevich or a Soroka or even a Dallas Keuchel having to pitch against DeGrom or Syndergaard or Wheeler or Mats or Stroman to win the division. I might be getting a little ahead of myself with the way they're playing against Atlanta right now. But coming into this series, Atlanta dropped three of four to the Marlins. They still have to play the Phillies some more. They still have to play the Nationals some more. They still have an interleague series with different teams coming up. Anything can happen. The fact that a 40-50 and 50 team went 21-9 and nine in their next 30 should tell you anything can happen. As Pete Alonso said just a couple weeks ago, LFGM. I won't use profanity on the podcast, so you figure out what the F stands for. But just like Darren said, Darren Meenan from the 7 line, I didn't hear no bell. As always, the Big Recon on Sports can be found on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Casts, and Radio Public. We can be found on Facebook, the Big Recon on Sports, on YouTube, Big Recon on Sports, and on Twitter, my personal Twitter handle, at Big Recon on Sport. As I said, the next thing I'm going to do, which actually I'm going to be doing as I listen and edit this video or this podcast, is working on the NFL and college football previews. Because guess what? On the 31st of August, on a warm Central Ohio day, the Scarlet and Gray will play against Florida Atlantic and Lane Kiffin, and the horseshoe will be rocking. And Buckeye football will have returned. But Buckeye football notwithstanding. There are only three words that mean anything right now. Let's go Mets. We'll see you next week.